Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to turn to Genesis 3. We're going to be in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15 this morning. Verses 14 and 15. As you turn there, I just want to say a quick word about Christmas. Oftentimes, Christmas is associated with waiting, is it not? We get pictures of children counting down the days until they... They can finally open up their Christmas presents on Christmas morning to see what they've gotten. And somewhere that childlike wonder still resides in each of us. When we think of Christmas, we have a joyful anticipation of things to come. Now, if you're anything like my family, your, your joyful anticipation is just seeing family. Maybe it's hanging the Christmas lights. Maybe it's watching your favorite Christmas movie. Maybe it's listening to your favorite Christmas song. Whatever it may be, we look in joyful anticipation of things to come. But you know, as I was reflecting on that in preparation for this passage this morning, I thought, you know, Christmas might be the only time of the year we get excited about waiting. When was the last time you were like, man, I cannot wait to wait? Like going and sitting in a drive-thru to wait on my food for 30 minutes. Oh, I get so excited about that. Or, or waiting for something to download onto my phone. Oh, I just cannot wait to wait some more. Or maybe if you're anything like my parents, waiting on Hunter and Madison to finally admit that they're having a baby, of which we are, in fact. <laughs> Or parents, don't you just get excited to go wait in the car line? Doesn't that just make you so excited? I can't wait for Madison and I to have to go wait in a car line. Absolutely not. We don't get excited about waiting. There's, there's only one time of the year we're really excited about this, and it's Christmas, because we live in this instant gratification culture, right? I want it, and I want it right now. And so these Small things like waiting a couple of minutes in a drive-thru can seem like an eternity is passing when in fact it's only been three minutes and I know because it happened the other night to me. And we, we, get, so, uh, we get so tangled up in, in waiting and yet for some reason we wait with joyful anticipation on Christmas. And it got me thinking, you know, there are some things in this life that are not trivial but they are particularly difficult when it comes to waiting. A couple of years ago, I got a phone call from my family that my grandmother had landed in the hospital. And the moments that followed, the waiting was excruciating. It was painful. And waiting on bad news can feel like lifetimes are passing by until the update finally comes, the update that you do not want to hear. And it got me thinking last week pastor darren said the reason we get so excited and the reason we have a joyful anticipation of christmas is because it becomes an escape from the world of which we know a world of suffering a world of trial a world of hurt and when christmas comes around we can return to our childhood we don't have to worry about the stress and the anxiety that is waiting but instead, we can just go back to being kids again. But brothers and sisters, we can try to escape all we want. That is the world that you and I live in. 
We live in a world at war, and our Advent theme this year is a declaration of war. And with war, war brings suffering. War brings sadness. War brings brokenness. War brings sinfulness, all of which we are so familiar of. What if we look, if we go back to the very beginning, back in Genesis, we'll see why, in fact, the world is this way. But we'll also see something else. We'll see two very distinct promises I want us to look at this morning. A promise of hostility and a promise of victory. Tucked away in Genesis 3.15 is God's declaration of war on evil and the serpent, but it is also his declaration that there will be a victor. And so this morning, I hope as we walk out of this building, we will have confidence to stand firm as we wait on our hope, the victor. So let's read Genesis 3, 14 and 15. If you're able, I would ask for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Church, right here in the beginning, as Pastor Darren reminded us last week, that God's story for humanity began with God creating all things and declaring it what? Good. And everything was good, but yet you and I look around to the world today, and it is very difficult at times to say that this world is nothing but good. There's a lot of bad that has entered the world. And if we go back to Genesis 3, we can see why, in fact, that happened. And it all began with this serpent right here who turned a peaceful kingdom into a battleground. And like any other war, we have an enemy who attacked in an act of aggression against the king, in an act of treason against the king, And that is why the world that you and I live in is so broken today. And this enemy was none other than this serpent. And it is here in Genesis 3, 14 and 15 that God makes his first declaration of war. And he begins with the promise of hostility. A promise of hostility. Now, before we get there, we have to ask the question, who is the serpent and what did he do? If you look a verse ahead, you can see that Eve says it was the serpent that deceived her. When we're introduced to the serpent, we know that he is more crafty than anything that God had created. And then you start to think, well, that's kind of a weird way to describe an animal. What gets even more strange when that animal decides that it wants to talk, and even worse, it begins to tempt. He begins to tempt humanity. He sets his eyes on Adam and Eve in order, don't miss this, to sway them away from their creator. He was making war against the almighty God and he wanted us to participate. And so what does he do? He, he does two things. First, he questions God's word. 
He says, does God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That word actually implying, hey, what did, what did God really say here? He questions God's word. And then he begins to question God's character. He says, well, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Church, notice the irony here. Back in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. And then he's, he looked out over all creation, and after humanity, he said it was very good. They were already made in the image of God. They already knew nothing but good. What did Adam and Eve have to gain? The knowledge of evil. The knowledge of evil, that's all they had to gain. And yet he twisted things around to make it look like God was withholding something good from them. And sadly, we know the rest of the story, right? You go back at Genesis 3 and you see that Eve sees the fruit. And in her heart, she begins to desire it. And then that desire turns into action and she reaches for the fruit and she takes and eats. And then she hands some to her husband who was standing there, not saying a word, who also willfully disobeyed. And the rest is history. The rest is brokenness. The rest is the fact that we have now been separated from one another and separated from our God. Instantly, their eyes were opened and they hid from one another. And then the, as they heard God walking in the cool of day, they hid behind the trees because they were afraid of him. And it was only moments before sin had begun to take its root in them and relationships between themselves and relationships with God were ultimately broken. And when God comes and he asks them, what have you done? Eve can only say, what well, was the serpent that deceived me? Brothers and sisters, I draw our attention here first because we do not need to be deceived. You and I are at war and you and I have a crafty enemy. And from the very beginning, he sought to ally himself with us. Jesus says in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Later in Acts 5, Peter will say to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Forget what the horror movies have taught you. Our enemy does not want you thinking that he is the enemy. He wants you thinking God is the enemy. It's exactly what he did from the very beginning. And his weapon and his arsenal is his tongue and it is nothing but lies and deceit. And this is how it works. We hear and every time you and I go through suffering, it is the first thing on our minds. Did God actually say why would God withhold this good thing from you if he was good? Those are whispers of the enemy. And when we go through trial and when we go through suffering, we instantly start to question God's character. Why? Because you and I have an enemy. And he wants to draw your attention away from the goodness of your God. And so what does he do? He gets you to question God's goodness. He gets to 
you to question the goodness of the things that God has given you. And instead, you start to look out like Eve and you see other things and your heart begins to desire those things and you take out and you eat. And he is still whispering lies today. He is promoting false religions. He is holding unbelievers captive to their own sinful desires. He is luring us who believe into our own sinful desires. And he is instigating persecution against those who stand firm. And when God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, what he's saying is good news. He's saying the serpent sought for us to be aligned against God, but instead he's saying, no, you and the serpent will be at odds with one another. So believer, when you find yourself in conflict in this world, it is not a bad thing, it might be a good thing. Enmity is a deep-rooted hatred for one another. And this is more than just a football rivalry, right? I'm from Alabama, and I love Alabama football. We're not doing good this year. But this is more than just an Alabama-Auburn rivalry. This is more than a Florida and FSU rivalry. This is deep-rooted hatred for one another to destroy one another. And God is saying to the serpent, you sought to ally with them, but I will make them against you and you against them. And brothers and sisters, we see this conflict all over the place, do we not? We see it in politics. We see it in the media. We see it in our school systems. We see it in our families. We see it in religion. And we can even see it in our churches. Did God really say? Is he withholding something good from you? A questioning of God's character. A questioning of God's word. And Throughout all of eternity, from this point on, there will be a titanic clash between the serpent and the seed of the woman, and they will go at odds with one another until an offspring comes. Brothers and sisters, you and I are at war against a sinister and powerful force who wants to tempt you and turn you. And there is conflict outside of us and there is even conflict inside of us because of his work in this world. But that is not what Christmas is about, is it? Christmas is about the fact that we have hope. We have hope. God has declared that the apex, the climax of this war is going to be centered around a single offspring. Look at verse uh, 15 again. There is a promise of victory. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. Heal. Church, this is a declaration of war and it is the first of many. But he is saying to the serpent, you acted against me, so now I'm acting against you. I'm declaring war against you and ultimately you will face defeat. You will be humbled. You will crawl on your belly and eat dirt. You are going to taste defeat and ultimately I'm going to crush your head. And it's going to happen through this one offspring. 
So the question has to be, church, who is the offspring? Who is the hope for all of humanity? Think, for years upon years, this would have been the only promise they would have had to hold to. For years, from Noah to Abraham, this was their hope that an offspring would come as Adam and Eve would leave out of the garden. They would instantly start looking for this offspring. You look at uh, the page next to you and you'll see in Genesis 4 that Adam and Eve had two children, Cain and Abel. And what happens? Instantly the war started. Cain kills Abel. The serpent is already on the move. But you can see Adam and Eve's faithfulness in verse 25. Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another, what? Offspring. Now we would know that Seth is not the Savior. And we get to Genesis 5 and we see a long lineage of people. And the common thread is this one little phrase. And they died. And they died. And they died. And I can only imagine with each death, they're left wondering, where's our hope? Have you been in that circumstance, church? Where you think, God, I know you're working. I know that you're faithful. But it just seems like the enemy is winning right now. And then they died. And then they died. And then Lamech comes. And Lamech says in verse 28... Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. He's talking about Noah. And as great as Noah was, even Noah failed. And it wouldn't be until Abraham that this promise would come. Genesis twenty-two seventeen. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore. And listen, and your offspring, singular, shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God has spoken again and he says there will again be an offspring. And this offspring is not Isaac, but he will too lay down his life for the Savior of the entire world. He will possess the gate of his enemies and all of the world, all of the nations will be blessed. No longer will there be conflict with one another. No longer will there be conflict between man and God. No, this offspring will come and he will redeem all of humanity all across the world. All of where the curse is found, he will bring salvation. And Paul says in Galatians 3.14, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The offspring church, as you probably knew this, is that baby that will come in the manger. Brothers and sisters, we're all looking for saving. We're all looking for something to save us from the world that we're living in. Whether it may be escaping the reality in which we live, or maybe it's money, or maybe it's some substance, whatever it is, we know that we are in desperate need of saving. That we have pain, we have hurt, we have a void that needs filling. We know the world is not as it should be, and so we look for the offspring. We look 
for the Savior of the world in all of the wrong places. But brothers and sisters, it was Jesus. It will always be Jesus. And he is coming to crush the head of the serpent. At Christmas, this is the battle that rages on around us and even within us. It's the battle that spans from here in Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's the battle that we hear like bombshells on the media of injustice and strife and suffering around the world. It's what we feel every day and it's the battle that is coming to an end and when it will, it will end all conflict for the baby that was born in the manger is not a sentimental token of God's love for us. No, he is the divine warrior come in swaddled clothes to crush the head of the serpent. He will be bruised and he will be bruised for us. Our hope is that our Savior is coming and that he took our place. There was no redemption for the the serpent. There was redemption for humanity. He would be bruised for it. He'll be hurt for it. But he will crush the serpent in the end. Brothers and sisters, there is a promise of future victory. So what do we do while we wait? What do we do? A promised victory sounds good. It sounds wonderful. But what happens when I walk out those doors, Hunter, and I have to face my own sin? What happens when I walk out that door and reality sets back in? What happens when I have to face the suffering of my current circumstances? Right now, it does not feel like I have victory. Brothers and sisters, I think there's three ways that we can walk in light of these promises. First, we are to expect conflict. We are to expect conflict. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. I think it would be foolish for us to walk out of this place and think that everything's going to go well in the world. We need to know that we have an enemy. We need to know that our enemy is appealing to our inner passions, our inner desires, what we see as good may not in fact be good, but yet he is tempting us to indulge in those things. We need to know that we have an enemy and we need to expect him coming. Not only are we to expect conflict, we need to escape temptation. Expect conflict, escape temptation. I want to read James 4 in light of this passage this morning and hear if you, or listen to see if you hear anything familiar. John 4 says, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with this world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He goes on to say in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Brothers and sisters, we are not neutral in this war. There are children of light and there are children of darkness. There are those who indulge in the passions of their flesh and there are those who have been redeemed by the passions of their flesh. And what this passage is saying, what James is saying, is there is either enmity with the serpent or there is enmity with God. 
What side are you on? Do you have enmity with your sin? Do you have a hatred for your sin? Or do you continue to indulge in the things that you know you ought not to do? Brothers and sisters, we must escape the temptation of the enemy. Now, some of you in here are believers. Now, some of you in here may not be believers. So let me speak to you first. If you're not a believer, let me say, if you feel crushed under the weight of your sin, if you hear the trueness of the fact that there's a void you are trying to fill, that you are trying to be saved by, the, by this world, by the things of this world, brother and sister, there is hope. There is hope that Satan and evil will be crushed, but not in those things. There's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. And I beg of you today, if you do not know Him, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day where you say, I need to get serious about my relationship with God. I need to turn away from the ways of the serpent and the ways of the world, and I need to draw near to Him. And this is your promise. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. There will be a pastor at this cross who, will be, who would love to talk to you about your next steps. Now for us who are born again believers, we need to remember that we have not just escaped this temptation, but that he is still here and still tempting. Brothers and sisters, we have to cling to what is true. If his weapon is deceit, our weapon has to be truth. We have to know what our Bibles say. We have to know what God's character is because otherwise you'll fail in the moments of temptation when, God begin, or when Satan begins to question God's character. You might give in to the fact and say, yeah, he should be good to me. No, God is good. It is the, sat- it is the enemy that is lying to you. You have to cling to what is true. This is why we have community groups. This is why we urge you to come here on Sundays. This is why we urge you to go to formations or to put your kids in charge or put your teenagers in the six. We have to know what is true. Brothers and sisters, you need friends who are going to tell you what is true. You need people in your life saying, that's not true about God. God is good. And he loves you. We have to hold on to what is true. Finally, church, we are to expect conflict, escape temptation, and endure, hopefully. Endure, hopefully. I want to end by the same way that Paul ends his letter to the Romans. If you look at Romans 16, you'll see this amazing passage, and this is what he says. I appeal to you, brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Listen, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This isn't, he's not talking about a future reality. He's not talking about a past reality. He's talking about something happening in the church of Rome in the present church. This is something, he's saying, watch out for those of you who are causing division. Stay away from them. It's a present thing that's happening in the church then. And what does he say to encourage them to stand firm in their faith? God will soon crush that serpent. Believer, it would be a mistake for us to look at this passage and think that it's only referring to Satan himself in a particular moment of time. God has declared war against that serpent and all who are his and all who are like him. Believer, if you feel like you're stuck in the same sin and you keep sinning and sinning and sinning and you feel like there's no victory there, if you feel like you are suffering right now and your current circumstances feels like the serpent is winning, if you feel like you're a believer and you want to stand firm in your faith but you're fearful of being persecuted, brothers and sisters, God will soon crush that serpent under your feet. The Holy Spirit that lives within you is doing war with the one who wants to tempt you. Brothers and sisters, we have hope. We have hope. And when you look around and you see your circumstances and they don't make sense, I want you to remember that the Lord your God came in a manger. Sometimes things are not what they seem. Our God came not as a warrior on a white horse coming to make war with the nations, but instead he came as a baby who would die on a cross and rise because he knows who the real enemy is and he knows how to have true victory. And though your circumstances might say anything else, remember, all is not what it seems. Our Lord came in a manger. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord will soon crush Satan under your feet. Have hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know, you know the war and the battles that I have faced. And God, I have found you faithful. I pray that our church would find you faithful. God, I know that there are people in here who were crushed under the weight of their sin. God, there are people in here who are being tempted as of this very second to follow the course of this world. God, there are believers in here who are at war with sin. God, there are people in here who are going through difficult circumstances because of sin. God, there are people in here who need to stand firm, but they're afraid. God, I pray that most of all, you would strengthen us in our inner being to have faith. To have faith that you will crush that serpent. Give us confidence, O oh God, to make war with sin and to go out and proclaim the good news of your truth, this gospel. God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done for us.
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.